I apologize if I goof up. I did remember this. All right, so before we get started, I need to say a word of prayer and uh, get all settled down and get into the lesson. Lord God in heaven, we are so, so very grateful for uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and what he means to us. And um, I had an interesting conversation with Sherry Lord and and just the importance of, uh, of having a close relationship with you, how vital that is for us, especially, especially in these times. I pray, Lord God in heaven, for all the folks out there who are uh, dealing with um, issues, uh, having hard decisions, uh, confronting them, Lord, um, just the, the burden of life itself. We just pray, Father, that they would uh, just turn to you and rely upon your grace and look to you for, the, for mercy uh, to aid them now, Father. I pray for the folks who um, are still in lockdown. I pray, Lord God, that uh, they uh, would be ministered to, to, ministered to and uh, just encourage them. Uh, help them, Lord God, not to feel isolated or, or lonely, uh, to become overwhelmed. But I pray, Father in heaven, that uh, you would just uplift their spirits. We thank you now, Lord, for your word as we begin to look into it. And I pray, Lord God, that you would bless this time. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. All right, so we're in Luke 18. We're going to be looking at verses 35 through 43. And that's about the blind man uh, there in Jericho. Uh, in, our, in my last lesson, uh, I entitled uh, the lesson, In Plain Sight addressing uh, the short-sightedness of some folks uh, who seem to be resistant to the truth, even when that truth is so clearly set before them. I talked about how our minds have a way of only listening to what we want to hear. I'm guilty of that. Uh, especially if, um, if the truth is um, unpleasant. Sometimes we don't like to listen to unpleasant truth. And also I mentioned that none are so blind as those who refuse to see. That's, that is so true. Uh, sometimes truth is so is just right out there in plain sight, but due to the spiritual condition of our hearts, you know, we're not able to pick up on that truth. We're not able to really appreciate that truth. And, boy, I tell you what, we're seeing it today, uh, how wrong ideas have a tendency to capture people's minds, take their minds into captivity. And so we've got to watch out for those wrong ideas that they don't take precedence in our minds. Uh, that we aren't, well, we aren't controlled by fear, you know, or wrong ideas or misinformation. So we've got to be very, very careful and to not let that happen because if it does, then that will uh, prevent us from seeing uh, real truth truth. And that's what we want. We want to see uh, real truth. Well, I've entitled this lesson, uh, For the Sake of Sight. For the Sake of Sight. Because uh, this is the story of that blind, blind man who refused to be discouraged by his circumstances and uh, from anyone trying to silence him from seeking to be in the presence of Jesus. Okay, so that's, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at this blind man uh, who knew that Jesus was passing through town and he wasn't going to let anything or anyone get in his way. All right, so for the sake of sight. Now, um, let's, uh, I'll go ahead and just uh, read through this passage real quick and then we'll get into the lesson so in Luke 18 35 it says and it came to pass that as he was come nigh unto Jericho a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging and hearing the multitude pass by he asked what it meant and they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passeth by and he cried saying Jesus thou son of David have mercy on me and they which went before rebuked him that he should hold his peace. But he cried so much the more, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. 
And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight, thy faith hath saved thee. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people when they sought and gave praise unto God. Now the scenario is this. And the Passover is drawing near, okay? The Passover is drawing near, and so the byways and the highways are becoming crowded uh, with the devout who are headed for Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And so Jesus and his disciples uh, have already left Capernaum. They've already come to Samaria. If you remember, they didn't want to receive him in Samaria. And according to all the other gospel accounts, he then takes a track across the Jordan River, comes through the region known as Perea. And so now what is he, is he doing? He's crossing back across the Jordan, and he's now coming into, uh, into Jericho. So as they're making their way to Jerusalem, uh, they would, like I said, pass through Perea, cross the Jordan River, and then arrive into the town of Jericho, which happens to be a major city in that region. Uh, in fact, the town of Jericho is believed to be one of the most ancient cities around, like Damascus. It's, it's one of the ancient most ancient cities around. And in fact, uh, archaeologists who, have, who dig things up, I call them muckrakers. You know, these are the guys who kind of dig through the layers of time in the dirt. They discovered that at least 20 successive settlements or civilizations had lived there, and they found artifacts that date back 11,000 years. So that's a long time that people have been living on this site, 11,000 years. Of course, uh, in the days of Joshua, Jericho, Jericho was known as the place of fragrance. Because if you look at a topographical map, it kind of sits in a little valley, a very fertile valley. And uh, being fertile... Of course, they have all sorts of crops and, and, you know, just things like that. So it was a very, very fertile place. It's uh, watered by springs. It's not far from the Jordan River. In the days of Jesus, uh, Jericho was also known as the City of Palms. Because uh, Archelaus, who was the son of Herod the Great... Uh, had a, uh, uh, an irrigation plan. And so he irrigated that plain and he planted palm trees and date trees and all this for the fruits and stuff. Okay, so, uh, so it was a very fertile, lush area. So one can imagine as you pass through this, this wilderness region that's fairly arid, okay, then when you come into Jericho, it's, it's like a paradise. It's like a paradise as you come, in, come into Jericho. And that's the reason why they've had somebody there for like 11,000 years because it's just such a, an ideal place to live. Now, of course, to us, why is Jericho famous to us? Yeah, because of Joshua and the children of Israel, right? Because God collapsed those city walls. Again, according to archaeologists, those city walls are some of the oldest walls known. All right? So God collapsed those city walls so that, uh, so that Joshua and the Israelites uh, could take it. And it was through Jericho that Joshua and the children of Israel started their campaign and retaking the promised land, right? Well, it's kind of interesting because it's through this same city that Jesus, Joshua, begins his campaign to reclaim for us here in Jerusalem where he's crucified to regain what Adam had lost. Okay? So what Adam had lost, Jesus now was going to reclaim for us. So that was kind of, that's kind of a neat little thing. Now, as we look at this passage, we're going to be, as we go through Jericho, we're going to be introduced to two men. One, a blind man begging by the wayside, and the other, a rich man up in a tree. 
Okay, so we're going to be introduced to two men in Jericho. Uh, though these men are different as far as social status is concerned, they had the one thing in common, didn't they? They both wanted to see Jesus. They both wanted to be in the presence of Jesus. That's what these two men had in common. We had a rich man, a publican, and then we had a poor blind man, a beggar. But what they had in common is that they both wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to be with Jesus. So let's take a look at this. In verse 35, and it says, And it came to pass that as he was come nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging, and hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant, and they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passes by. So as Jesus and his disciples, surrounded by the pilgrims, if you will, the, all the folks that are headed for Jerusalem for the Passover, uh, they were passing right by where this blind man was begging. And the reason why he was begging, because that's how he survived, right? That's how he survived, uh, by begging. And it was not uncommon to see uh, beggars along the pilgrim way, if you will. It was not uncommon to see beggars uh, along the pilgrim way uh, to call out for alms or whatever to help them. Uh, You know, we kind of see that ourselves, don't we? Like if you go downtown or some of these other intersections, you'll see somebody standing there with a little handwritten cardboard sign that tells us of their plight and of their need, right? So we even see those guys uh, as well, you know, like, like we have back here. So, and we're not told how this man had become blind. Uh, we don't know if he was blind by accident. We don't know if he was blind by, by birth. We don't know if it was a disease. All we know, he, he was blind. That's the only thing we know about him, is that he was blind. And so he was reduced to the state of begging to sustain his life. He was reduced to the state of begging to sustain his life. Now, Proverbs 19.17 says, He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. Now... (laughs) I've seen the folks who sit at the busy intersections and I don't know, maybe it's just me, but sometimes I just kind of wonder if they're legit. Don't you? I do. Sometimes I kind of wonder if uh, they are legit. I mean, we've always, we've heard the reports on television about the panhandlers that kind of make a living instead of getting a, a regular job. Uh, they've discovered that it's easier and more profitable just to be a panhandler. Uh, my, bo- my daughter tells a story about a man where she used to work up north. He would position himself in a strategic place, and people would every once in a while would stop and, and give him you know change or whatever. Well, for some reason, my daughter was suspicious of this man. So one day, as a creeper, she followed him. <laughs> and come to find out, the man had gotten into a fairly new Cadillac and drove away. So my daughter says, this man was driving a better car than what I was driving, and yet he was standing here on the corner, you know, panhandling, you know, pretending to be a man in need. You know, um, it's easy for us to become jaded to folks like that. It just is. I I get it. I totally get it. And I confess that sometimes are you, am I the only one when you drive up and there's this person here, you just kind of (laughs) purposely you don't, you don't make eye contact. Have you ever done that? Well, sometimes I've done that and sometimes I, I give them something. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I ignore them. And sometimes I give them something out of my pocket. Now, I'm not recommending you do this or that. That's your call to make. There are some folks that I believe are genuinely in need. I can't tell the difference. I can't tell the difference. I guess I would only say this. If God impresses you to give, then do so. 
and let him sort it out. Right? Because sometimes God has said, or I shouldn't say said, but he has impressed me, you know, Jeff, you know, help this person out. And sometimes he hasn't. So, that's all I'm going to say about that. You know, in the law of Moses regarding the blind, uh, certain things are said. For instance, Leviticus 19.14, he says, Thou shalt not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear thy God. I am the Lord. In Deuteronomy 27.18, it says, Cursed be he that maketh the blind to wander out of the way, and all the people shall say amen. So we have to take special consideration for folks that are blind or infirmed. I mean, even in the book of Job, long written before the law of Moses, uh, Job spoke about being charitable to folks like this. He said in Job 29.15, he says, I was eyes to the blind and feet was I to the lame. You know, um, I say all that to say this. Um, in our in our culture, there there are a lot of things that help other folks. We do. We have those things, and we have a man in our own church that, to me, just amazes me. Right? He just absolutely amazes me, in spite of his blindness. Sometimes I'm suspicious of whether or not he really is blind with some of the things that he accomplishes. But I say this, I say all that to say this, that this blind man had positioned himself to where the more conscientious and the more charitable people would be located. All right? And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And so this man located himself where these people would be more conscientious and more charitable to help him with money or clothing or food and that was fine but that's all that these people could do they were absolutely powerless to do anything about his real need which was blindness right they could help him they could clothe him they could feed him but they were powerless to do anything about his real need and that was his blindness the only one that could help this man was the man that was passing by that day Jesus that's the only man that could help him that day and the same is true of any who are spiritually blind The same is true of any who are spiritually blind. You know, Paul wrote about spiritual blindness to the Corinthian church. In 2 Corinthians 4.3, he writes, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, and whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto him. And then Paul continues in verse 5, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, only Jesus can give them the sight to see. But we have been given the charge to bear that light. Okay? Only Jesus can give them the sight to see, but we have been given the charge to bear that light to these people. We are to hold forth the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, and we are to pray that men's eyes are open to that light. We need to be faithful about bearing that light. But if we choose to not hold forth that light, then those men will remain in darkness, won't they? We've got to hold forth the light. We have to hold forth the light. Something else that when I was looking at this was kind of interesting to me. Um, If I'm not mistaken... 
uh, the healing of the blind man, this is the first of the last two times that Jesus is going to heal anybody in the book of Luke. So two more times. This blind man and somebody else. The first time we've got the blind man, you know who the second person is that he heals in the book of Luke? And the last person he heals? It's the fellow who Peter cut the ear off of. So he heals a blind man and he heals a man who's had his ear severed. That's kind of a picture of the spiritual condition of Israel at the time, isn't it? Matthew 13, 13 says, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because they seeing not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. Israel at that time was both blind and deaf to the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Israel is still in that state today. Romans eleven seventeen, Paul says, What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. That's the state of Israel today. They don't see and they don't hear. Spiritually. Of course, this spiritual condition will be corrected. When, after the great tribulation, uh, they shall look upon him whom they have pierced, then they'll see, then they'll hear, but now they don't. Uh, Somebody else that's kind of this way, the very disciples that that followed Jesus were this way too. In Mark 8:15 it says and he charged them saying take heed beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod and they reason among themselves saying it is because we have no bread and when Jesus knew it he saith unto them why reason ye because ye have no bread perceive ye not yet neither understand have ye your heart heart yet hardened having eyes ye see ye not and having ears hear ye not you know, even as believers, we, we have a tendency to have um, spiritual cataracts on our hearts. We fail to discern today between what is true and what is false. That's the big problem in our church today. We lack discernment. We cannot tell the difference between what is truth and what is being portrayed as truth. I was speaking with a gal the other day, and she was saddened that the church her parents attend and her brothers and sisters attend don't encourage its congregation to study the Bible or read the Bible or even provide their congregation with classes and ways to know the Word of God. And sadly, that is the condition and that's the state of many Bible-believing churches in America today. The people are simply not encouraged to read and study or given opportunity to do so I'm thankful for our church because our church does it provides ample opportunity if you want to know God's word there's lots of opportunities to do so lots of opportunities to do so Proverbs 19.2 says uh, that the soul be without knowledge it is not good if God's people don't take advantage of what is offered to study and learn God's word Uh, then whose fault is it that they remain ignorant and short-sighted? I think that's the reason why so much foolishness is going on in the church today. Because people don't take the time to find out what the Bible really says. They just take take another man's word for it. Going on... Uh, as uh, this man sat by the wayside hearing this commotion among the multitude that was passing by uh, his interest was piqued now this man I believe was used to the crowds of pilgrims 
that would pass through his city. He was used to the noise made by (laughs) the kids being kids. The folks talking. You know, they even sang. The more devout even sang hymns and psalms as they made their way to, to Jerusalem. So he was used to all of that noise. And he had strategically placed himself in this spot to play upon the pity of the pilgrims as they went their way. But yet today, there was something different in the noise in the crowd. He could pick up a difference. There was an excitement in the multitude. uh, More than the familiar noise that he was used to, there was something going on. And he could hear it and probably sense it. And so his curiosity being tweaked, I'm picturing this man where he's at in his blindness, reaching out and, and grabbing hold of somebody's garment to get their attention. And then he asks him or her, what's going on? What's the excitement all about? And then he's told Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now, before I go any further, and I know you guys read your Bibles, um, there is a controversy about the blind man of Jericho. In fact, your scorners and your skeptics say this is a flagrant contradiction in the Word of God. And I want to address that. Uh, The bones of contention with the scorners is that one... In Mark's gospel, Mark 10, verse 46, it says that Jesus healed the man as he went out of Jericho. While here in Luke, it says that he did so as he was coming into Jericho. Okay? The other contention is that Matthew, who records this very same thing, mentions two blind men being healed. Whereas Mark and Luke only mention the one. Oh no, we have a contradiction. What are we going to do? The Bible can't be real. Well, don't fall for that. Uh, I'll give you some of the explanations. Uh, Some of the folks who um, try to answer the critics, uh, they say that these are two separate incidents, even though each of these incidents have peculiar similarities. All right. Uh, the first incident is the healing of the single blind man while Jesus entered the city. And the second incident is the healing of the two men as Jesus left the city. So they explain it as two separate incidents. Another explanation is uh, according to a sequence of events. It goes like this. Jesus arrived in Jericho but did not stop because he, he failed to hear the man crying out for mercy because of the noise of the crowd and so forth and so on. That's totally understandable. And so he, he proceeds on through Jericho, has an encounter with Zacchaeus the publican. In the meanwhile, this particular blind man, having missed his first opportunity, scurries to the outskirts of Jericho where he knows that Jesus is going to leave town and in a second attempt to get Jesus' attention and as he was scurrying through town he picks up this second blind man with him and so they both go to the place where they think that Jesus got to leave the city of Jericho and where they can get his attention and they base that on Mark 10.46 In Mark 10.46 it says, And they came to Jericho, colon, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, that's where he met the blind man. Mark names him Bartimaeus. And they explain that the colon right there is that interval of time that Jesus failed to hear him the first time dealt with Lazarus and then was leaving the city where Bartimaeus had strategically ran ahead and 
position himself to try again to get a hold of Jesus's attention that's your two main explanations Uh, let me offer a third let me offer a third I think a better explanation is to be had with a better understanding about the town of Jericho and this is you can check this out this is true this is accurate Uh, Jericho was a divided city and uh, it was home to a large number of Levitical priests it was also an, an important Roman taxation center you know being right there at the crossroads going into Jerusalem and so you had two parts of Jericho, uh, Jericho. you had the part where the Levitical priests and the devout Jews lived and then you had a newer part of Jericho where the Romans and the Gentiles and men such as Zacchaeus lived and like many towns and cities there was an old part of Jericho and there was a new part of Jericho you can look it up that's exactly the way it was kind of like Jerusalem is today there's an old Jerusalem and then there's a new Harrisonville is the very same way right we've got a old Harrisonville that's centered around the square and then you've got the newer Harrisonville that surrounds it okay so that's what you've got so as Jesus entered into Jericho he entered into the old part of Jericho and as he was traveling through the old part of Jericho he encounters the blind man while in the newer part of Jericho he encounters the publican Zacchaeus same town two different boroughs or districts okay so here's my scenario as Jesus arrived into the city the old Jericho where the majority of the priests and the Jews resided as Jesus kept walking the blind man Bartimaeus would cry out for mercy of course the blind man would naturally be in this part of town because that's where the Jews were right so they would be more conducive to being charitable to him rather than in the other newer part of town that is populated by Romans and Gentiles and publicans such as Zacchaeus that makes sense to me so Jesus not hearing the man crying out the first time because of the noise of the crowd he just kept going he just kept going Bartimaeus persisted in calling out as he followed along with the press of the crowd picking up the second blind man with him who also heard that Jesus was passing by as Jesus began to leave the borders of the old town of Jericho to enter into the new town of Jericho that's when Bartimaeus called out and finally got his attention so there is no contradiction there is no contradiction it's just the way the town's set up now Bartimaeus is mentioned in Mark's gospel for a couple of reasons one he may have been a very well-known disciple when Mark wrote his gospel that's why Bartimaeus was mentioned or it could be that the second blind man had died and so his name was forgotten but Matthew being an eyewitness remembered the man and therefore put him in his account that to me makes sense and that also would explain the punctuation mark found in Mark 10:46, because it would mark that space of time of Jesus entering, passing through about town, getting ready to exit the old Jericho. That's when Bartimaeus finally got his attention. So both accounts, they jive. They jive. Does that make sense? Did I make that fairly clear? So there is no contradiction. So in closing, what I want to do is I want to look at seven points about this man who could not be silenced for the sake of seeing Jesus. 
The one, the first point I want to point out is his wretched condition. We don't hear the word wretched very much anymore, do we? When you think of wretched, what do you think of? Not anything too good, right? Wretched. The word means, uh, defines a person's state as being deeply afflicted or dejected or distressed. So if you're, if you're, if you're wretched, you're in a pretty woeful state. Pretty woeful state. You know, I've been to places where the poverty level is just atrocious. Absolutely atrocious. And I have to wonder, how in the world do these people survive? But yet they do. They do. They, they survive. They, they manage to do it. And for these folks in this wretched condition, day-by-day survival is difficult. It's tough. So that's, that's the state of this man. We had a dear friend, Diane will know who I'm talking about. We had a dear friend <laughs> who took exception to the line in the hymn, Amazing Grace. That line that says, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. They didn't like that line. And the reason why they didn't like that line is because they didn't like to think of themselves as being a wretch. They didn't like to think of themselves as being a wretch. But yet in our lost estate without Christ, is that not a wretched condition to be in? Yeah, it is. Deeply afflicted by sin of which we have no power over? No deliverance from? It's a dejected state that condemns us before a holy God. We're in a loss in our lost state. We were spiritually separated from God due to sin. We were distressed because of that separation and that sin. Yeah, we were wretched. Anyone who is lost is wretched. And unfortunately, most people are blind to this wretched state. The blind man knew too well his wretched condition, didn't he? And he also knew the only one that could save him. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Honestly, that's the only hope any of us have. Without Christ... We are wretched. Amen? The second thing about this man is his consciousness of need. I hope I spelled that word right. His consciousness of need. When the blind man heard that it was Jesus passing by, he cried out for mercy. You know, mercy is more than just having compassion on someone. Mercy mercy is rendering aid. Rendering aid to the one in need. Rendering aid to the one in need. See, Bartimaeus wasn't looking for a handout. He wasn't looking for a denarius or a piece of clothing. Denarius, Bartimaeus was looking to Jesus, crying out to be healed in regards to his blindness. So often, God's people settle for so little from God when so much is available to them. So much is available to them. And I believe a part of the reason for this is that they they fail to recognize their real need is not physical, but spiritual. That's the real need that needs to be met. But we're so focused on the physical. Oh, A person must first be willing to recognize their real need before their other needs can be met. I honestly believe that. A.W. Tozer once said that mercy is not something that God has, but something God is. We all need the mercy of God. We all need the mercy of God. 
Jesus said in Luke 6, 36, Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is, is merciful. You know, some folks don't like to tell others about Jesus because they don't want to hurt their feelings. They don't want to hurt their feelings. They don't want to point out uh, that these people are sinners and they're going to hell if they don't get saved. They don't, they don't want to hurt their feelings. So they present Jesus as a band-aid to their problems or a means by which they could be happy and feel fulfilled. Jesus didn't die on the cross to make sure you get a bigger house. Jesus didn't die on the cross to fix your marriage. Jesus died on your cross to deliver you from hell. Because you're a sinner. And you're in danger of eternal separation in the lake of fire. That's a bigger need than fixing somebody's marriage. That's a blessed after... How do you word that? That comes later. That comes later. Frankly, I'm grateful to the man that came to me and pointed out my real need. Because I needed to hear it. Not only did he point out my real need, but he also told me of the one who would deliver me from that need. Let me ask you a question. Is it more merciful to, to spare another person's feelings and fail to tell them the real danger they're in? I'd be like a surgeon failing to tell his patient that they have cancer. That's not mercy. That's not mercy. His hold on opportunity. This man would not be dissuaded from his quest to meet with Jesus. In verse 38 it says he cried. In verse 39 it says he cried so much the more. The first word cried uh, means to speak with a strong voice. So the man was projecting his voice in order to be heard over the crowd. Okay? But the crowd was telling him to what? Be quiet. He was annoying. He was annoying to the crowd. He was telling them, be quiet, be quiet. Essentially, they were telling him to what? Shut up. Shut up. That's what the word to hold his peace means. That very same phrase is used to describe Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, when he was struck dumb. Dumb up. Stop. Shut up. I don't mean to be crude, but that's what they were saying. It never ceases to amaze me how insensitive we can be at times. You know, these people did not know the misery of blindness like this man did. And these people were also unaware of the hope that was now in his heart. And they were trying to squelch that. They were trying to squelch that hope that he now had in his heart. You know, sometimes in ignorance, people will try to hold people back with their relationship with Christ. They try to squelch it. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't be one of those people that tries to squelch somebody else's relationship with Christ. No, we are to encourage that. We are to edify that. We are to educate that. We are to encourage that as much as possible. You know, one of my prayers is that you folks leave after hearing one of my goofy lessons that you leave that much more in love with Jesus. If you leave with just a little bit more love for Christ, then I've accomplished what I, what I want to do. The second time the man cried out, this is interesting, I thought this was interesting, it means to caw like a crow. <laughs> caw like a crow. I used to go to my aunt's farm for the summer, and she had crows because they grew corn 
And it always amazed me how far away that crow would be, and you could still hear it. Over a mile or more, you could still hear that crazy crow up in the tree cawing. Well, that's what this man was doing. Jesus didn't hear him the first time. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. So what does he do? Thou son of David, have mercy on me. He wanted to get his attention. He wanted to get his attention. You know, when folks are trying to keep you from Jesus, that's when you fight that much harder to be with him. If they're trying to squelch your relationship, then that means you try harder. Don't give up. Don't let them do that to you. This man was desperate. People were shushing him. He may have sensed that Jesus was getting further and further away. And he knew his opportunity was soon to slip out of his hands. And so what does he do? He does the only thing he can do. And he shouts for all he's worth. When you feel that, do you pray for all you're worth? How often has opportunity been squandered by God's people due to a lack of determination on their part? It's not God's fault. You know, one of the observations that I've seen during this pandemic has been the will of some of God's people. Some of God's people want to get back into church, they want to get back into fellowship, they want to get back into ministry. And some of the folks that I've talked to, they could care less. They're content to stay away. This man refused to be silenced. He refused to be restrained. His desire was to be in the presence of Jesus, and it was his passion that won the day. The simple faith. There was nothing complicated about this man. He didn't sit there on the wayside and debate whether Jesus was John the Baptist come back from the dead or one of the prophets. He didn't waste his time with that. Let the theologians waste their time in debate. He knew exactly who Jesus was. Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. Son of David, that's messianic. He knew exactly that Jesus was the only one who could save him. And he confessed what the great religious minds of his day refused to acknowledge. Simple faith. Simple faith. This blind man had more insight than the doctors of the law of his day. Simple faith. You know, I've read commentaries before that, oh my goodness. They take seven pages and say absolutely nothing. And I've read commentaries where the man says one sentence that speaks volumes. Simple faith. You know, sometime back we talked about childlike childlike faith and how Jesus extolled childlike faith in his disciples Luke 18 16 but Jesus called them unto him and said suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not for of such is the kingdom of God this is the faith of the blind man simple childlike faith Jesus was the object of his faith he was convinced that Jesus was the only one that could save him therefore I'm calling out to Jesus nothing complicated about that Hebrews 11 6 without faith it is impossible to please him for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a reward of them that diligently seek him Ron you might you might remember this man years and years and years ago a man by the name of Manly Beasley came to speak at, our, at a church that we attended and our pastor called it a faith conference 
it was one of the best conferences I ever attended. In fact, it, to me, it was a life-changing conference. As a young believer in Christ, it was a life-changing conference. Well, Manly Beasley, he said a lot of things, but one of the things he said was this. Now, listen carefully. He said, Faith is acting as if it is so, when it seems not to be so, in order for it to be so, because with God, it is already so. Let me say that again. Faith is acting as if it is so, when it seems not to be so, in order for it to be so, because with God, it is already so. That's faith. Simple faith. What is it that we used to say when we were kids, or at least some of us? God said it. I believe it. And that's good enough for me. Simple faith. Faith at its simplest. And that's what this man cried out with. Simple faith. Then his readiness for blessing. So Jesus finally does hear the man. Stops and calls for the man to be brought to him. So he could inquire what the man wanted. In Mark's gospel, this cracks me up. In Mark's gospel, the very same people who tried to shut him up. (laughs) Listen to what they say. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man saying, Be a good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. These are the same people who tried to hush him up. And now they're encouraging the man to go to Jesus. Be wary of fickle people. Be wary of fickle people. Like a flag in the wind, at first they're for you, then they're against you, then they're for you, then you're against you. Have nothing to do with those folks. Be wary of fickle people. I also get a kick about how Mark records this man's response to being called before Jesus. Listen to Mark 10.50. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. That's a bit dramatic, isn't it? (laughs) Rose and cast away his garment and came to Jesus. I mean, can't you just see that? What a flourish. You know, when Brian calls someone down to the altar and sees somebody take, take their coat and throw it behind them and run down the... I mean, what a flourish. His hope was soon to be realized. His faith was soon to be rewarded. So in excitement, he throws off this garment. You know, Bartimaeus may have been physically blind, but his spiritual eyesight was twenty twenty. You know, in the throwing away his garment, you know what he was doing? He was throwing away the old in order to embrace the new. Ephesians 4.22 says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You know, like Bartimaeus, this should be the attitude of every one of us. Throw off that garment of the old life and put on the garment of the new life. Throw off the old and embrace the new in Christ. That should be a daily attitude that we should possess. I love the way James puts it in James 1.22. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Get rid of it. Cast it off. Throw it away. It'll do you no good. Cast away all that would hinder you from maintaining that attitude that is conducive to blessing. Remember, I talked about that. Because if you hang on to that old stuff, that's not going to bring you blessing. His clear petition. When these men came to Jesus' presence, Jesus asked them what they wanted. Asked them what they wanted. Now, Jesus wasn't being obtuse. 
He knew exactly what these men needed. He knew they were blind. But what these men needed to do, what Bartimaeus needed to do, he needed to voice it. He needed to say it. And that's something that we sometimes forget. James 4.2 says, You have not. Why? Because you ask not. Because you ask not. The best prayers are the simple prayers. The best prayers are the simple prayers. I recall as a young person being raised in a particular denomination after my confirmation, I received a little book of prayers. So I took that home and I read through that little book of prayers. Some of them were really pretty. Most of them were pretty wordy. (laughs) But you know what the big problem was with that book of prayers? They were someone else's prayers. They weren't my prayers. They weren't my prayers from my heart. See, I don't, I don't know, this is just me. This is my opinion, take it for what it's worth. See, I don't believe God is so much impressed by someone's verbosity. I mean, some folks, when they pray, they tend to preach. Some folks, when they pray, they get all fancified. That might impress others. But I kind of wonder how much it presses God. You see, the prayers I think that God prefers are those that cut out all the pomp and circumstance. The simple, honest, sincere, straight-from-the-heart prayers. Right? No pretense, but open-heartedness. This prayer was simple and to the point. Lord, that I may receive my sight. You can't get any more simple than that. You know, if, if you make a study of all the prayers in the Bible, they all have this one characteristic about them. They're simple. They're honest. They're to the point. <laughs> they're direct. There's no beating around the bush. No flattery. The most eloquent of prayers are not said by those who have a mastery of the language, but by those whose hearts have been mastered by Christ. Those are the best prayers. And then number seven, his grateful discipleship. Look what he says here in verse 42, or verse 43. And immediately he received his sight, answered prayer, and what happened? And followed him glorifying God. Jesus says, thy faith hath saved thee. You know, without his power, our faith is in vain. The other side of the coin is this. Without our faith, his power is ineffective. Now, what do I mean by ineffective? What I mean by that is this. Without faith, God's working in your life is hindered. God's working in your life is hindered. Matthew 13, 58, and he did not many mighty works there. Why? Because of their unbelief. Because of their unbelief. See, God is never powerless. He's he's all power. He's never powerless. But when God's people do not exercise faith in what God has said, then God's power remains idle to God's people. You want to tap into God's power? Well, the power line is faith. Faith. This man also showed his gratitude. And you know how he showed his gratitude? By following Jesus. In Mark's gospel, Jesus gave the man the option to go his way. He says, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. The man didn't do that. You know what the man did after he received his sight? He followed Jesus. 
as the physical light from the sun and the sky filled his eyes, the light of Jesus filled his heart. And so he follows Jesus and he glorifies Jesus. I believe that Bartimaeus is known to us by Mark's gospel because Bartimaeus lived a life after this point to glorify God. And I'm going to have to close. How, do, how grateful am I? I've received that light. I was blind at one time. I now see. How grateful am I? Am I grateful enough to do as Bartimaeus did? Follow Jesus and glorify him? How grateful are you? Are we grateful enough to follow Jesus and live the remainder of our lives for the glory of God? That's a question only you can answer. Holy Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the example of Bartimaeus. We thank you, Lord, for these stories, these incidences, these situations in the word of God. And Father, even though these things occurred thousands of years ago, they're still so applicable, so timely for us today. I pray, Lord God, that we would take from this something that would help us to be more in love with you and to seek to live our lives to glorify you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.